Well, once again, you are here for something everyone loves to talk about in church. Sex and sexuality. Congratulations, you did it. You made it. It's cool with you guys. We're going to dive right in this morning. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be. I think it's beautiful, the song that we just sang, because it, it said, I was found before I was lost. This morning we're starting in what God intended. We're looking at how we were designed, how we were created. Because we can spend a lot of time saying what we shouldn't do, but until we know what we were created for, we'll never find wholeness. We'll never find healing. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 15. We're going to jump right in. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Starting in verse 15, it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning, I ask first that there would be no shame in this room as we talk about something Many of us have deep wounds and pain in the area of. No shame, Jesus. We want your spirit. We want to hear your truth. We're asking for you to speak. None of my ideas. Just you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. This morning, I need to start by saying I'm sorry. And we've all been apologized to, like by an older brother, um, when mom caught them and made them apologize. That's not, that's not what this is, is this morning. Nobody got caught with anything. The reality is we are wounded people. We live in a world that perpetuates a lot of lies around the idea of sex and sexuality. And every single one of us has been broken around this. And the greatest tragedy of all is that in many cases, those lies have been dressed in Christian language and then reproduced in the church. So many of us have wounds that actually came in the name of Jesus. So I just want you to know that if you're here this morning and you have at any point felt like the church was a place that wasn't safe, where you couldn't be welcomed as you are in the midst of your struggle and doubt and questions, if you've ever felt like your past or your present would disqualify you from being in 
the church, being loved, having family, I want you to know I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for people like me that have stood on places like this and made you feel like that. If you're here this morning and you have felt like somehow your body, your physicality is evil or is a stumbling block or is someone else's pitfall, And you have developed shame around the skin God put you in. I want you to know I'm so sorry. That is not the intent of this. But people like me in places like this have perpetuated those lies. If you're here and you have felt like you have done too much, you have gone too far, like you will never find freedom, like you are just stuck and you can't talk about it, you can't admit it, like, that thing is the one thing that if you were to say it out loud, that people would turn away. If you have felt like that because of places like this, I am so sorry. I mean that. We are wounded people. And this morning is going to be different. This isn't really going to be a sermon. It's not really going to be a lecture. I really just want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk from this book about what it means that we were made in the image of God, what God intended for these desires and these bodies that he has blessed us with. And just so you know, this is a topic, as we talk this morning, you might see emotion, you might see things that just kind of aren't super normal from stage. That's because I have given and received a lot of wounds in this area, and it's something I feel very strongly about. So I'm just going to do my best to be myself and speak from the heart, speak from what God's done for me this morning. This is going to be, this might be a lot, might feel like drinking from a fire hose. For some of us, this morning might feel a little bit like physical therapy, like you've been wounded and you're learning how to walk again. You're being invited to learn what it means to be in healing. Honestly, for some of us this morning, this is going to feel like having a dislocated shoulder put back in place. But I want you to know it's because I love you. And because when something's broken, it needs to be healed. Sometimes healing hurts. We're going to address some lies, not all of the lies. There's no way that we would have time on a, in a Sunday morning to address all of the lies and wounds. This wouldn't even be the right place to address many of them. We're going to address some of the lies this morning that have done the most damage and that have been perpetuated inside the church about sex and sexuality and in our culture around us. Before we do that, I want to give you what I believe is the kingdom ethic of sexuality. If you're taking notes, I would recommend writing this down. I think this statement undergirds everything that we're going to talk about this morning, this whole discussion, and it's this. The ethic of the kingdom, the sexual ethic of the kingdom, is obedience to God's command because we trust his character. We can reason and we can explain and we can debate scripture and we can argue the Hebrew. But what it all comes down to is that if we trust his character is good, we obey his commands. We live in his truth. 
All right, you guys ready? You with me? All right. If you think you can handle this, say, I think so. All right, that didn't sound ter terribly confident. We're going to roll with this anyway. Here's the first lie that we're going to address this morning. I'm just going to be honest. I'm doing something this morning I don't normally do. I am not going to pay attention to the clock. Just warning you. Um, this is a conversation that when we're done, we're going to be done. I think lunch can wait. I think the Holy Spirit has something to do this morning. The first lie that we're going to deal with is this, that our bodies are the problem. Now, you don't need me to explain how this gets perpetuated in our culture. We see it all the time. Uh, nearly everybody in this room, man or woman, has at some point in their life felt like they were not physically enough for one reason or another, that their body was the problem, that they didn't look right, they didn't act right, they, didn't, they thought about it too much, they had too high of a drive or too low of a drive, that they didn't fit into the stereotype or the expectation that their body was the problem. This gets perpetuated in the church, and a lot of, for a lot of us, it starts off like this, and it's not, it's not our parents' fault because our parents were all people who felt really awkward about sex and sexuality too and didn't like to talk about it. But for many of us, we turn 10, 11, 12 years old, and we start to ask questions, and we get handed a book and nothing's ever said about it. Or we get told, don't ask. Hey, we're, we're not going to talk about that. Or we have the most uncomfortable conversation that you can imagine, and then it's never brought up again. And we learn from a very young age that that is kind of gross, and you should feel weird about it. And whatever you do, don't talk about it, because your body is the problem. Or maybe for some of us, we've never talked about it at home. We just learned about it at school, and then we figured it out with our friends. And we learned that you never talk about it. And if you talk about it at church, it's always don't and feel bad. If you do, it'll, you can never get it back. That's always the conversation. And then it gets perpetuated like this. Men are visual. Their eyes are bad. They can't control it. Their eyes are bad. So men start feeling like their hormones are bad. <laughs> their eyes are bad. Their bodies are bad. And then it's women's body's fault that men's eyes are bad. So we wind up perpetuating a lie that says it's your responsibility to keep somebody else from sinning. We wind up heaping shame on human beings made in the image of God. We wind up feeling like our bodies are the problem. And I think maybe the most pervasive statement that gets made in church that instigates and perpetuates this lie is you might have heard it like this we're just souls in skin suits we're just souls and spirits inhabiting tents and someday we get to go into the glorious beyond where it's all just a bright light and angels singing and the most boring thing you can imagine for the rest of eternity <laughs> and that's what it's like praise the lord someday we don't have to have these bodies again first off that is not christian theology that is the ancient heresy of gnosticism that's been rejected by the church for 1800 years that's why theologians like nt wright say that the biggest threat 
to the modern church is neo-gnosticism. We believe that the physical world is all evil. So we either just turn over to it and do whatever it wants because we can't control it anyway, or we deny it and deny it and deny it and separate ourselves from it to such, such an extent that we are disconnected from the world God actually put us in. In this story, it does not say that God made Adam that Hebrew word is most often translated in the Old Testament, humanity or mankind. So in this, the name Adam is the representative of humanity. God didn't put humanity into a body. He made humanity from the dirt and breathed life into humanity. You were made with a body. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says that we were made in the image of God. That in the image of God, he created us male and female. He created us, that we were both made in the image of God. And a lot of us, we kind of get this perspective that says, like, men are made in the image of God, and women are our sidekick. We're Batman, women are Robin. In this story, that word helper is azare. In the Old Testament, it is almost exclusively used for the salvific help of the Lord. So we were dying, God saved us, azare. So we're not Batman, and she's not Robin. We're Gotham City, and she's Batman. Your bodies were made in the image of God. There is no desire. There is no experience. There is, God didn't look down at Adam and Eve and say, how'd they think of that? He created us with physical desires that were designed to draw us into unity with one another and point us to unity with God. Now, we live in a world that's been marked by sin. It's the next chapter of the Bible. And sin broke everything. Which means we live in a world where our bodies are marked by brokenness, sometimes physically. Sometimes we have disabilities, sometimes it's chemical imbalances, sometimes it's misplaced desires. But the desires themselves, even if they're pointing the wrong direction, are from God. You do not have to be ashamed of the functions of your body. You do not have to be ashamed of the fact that you have desires. In his very important book, The Deeply Formed Life, a pastor and author named Rich Viotis from New York, um, he's quoting another theologian, and because I was in New Orleans all week, I did not have time to go back and reference all the other theologians' work. Um, but he's ta he talks about the, the two expressions of sexuality that come in human beings, that these desires, what they do, and they're meant to point us to what we were created for. So we have what we might call a relational aspect to these desires, and we, and we have a physical aspect to these desires. And it's important to understand that both of them are from the Lord. And it's also important to understand that one of them is a need, and one of them is a desire. One of them is a need. It is not good for mankind to be alone, isolated, separate, solo. We deeply need community, intimate relationship with God and with other people. And sex and sexual activity was given to us as the expression of that intimacy, spiritually and emotionally, for those who choose marriage, for those who are married. It was meant to be the one flesh union that is the culmination of those deep desires. But you need to understand that we need intimacy with God and with others. And we want 
physical things. It is not wrong to want those physical things. It is natural. Those are a gift from the Lord. Your body is a gift from the Lord. Saying our body is wrong, is body is the problem, is like getting pulled over and telling the cop, the car is just so fast. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Your body is a gift from the Lord. What we do with it matters. There is a right and wrong way to do with it. But the desires themselves, even if they're pointing the wrong direction, are not evil. What we do with them is what makes the difference. And I want to tell you this. So many of us, because we've got shame around our bodies, around the idea of sex and sexuality, so we don't talk about it. So we've got these very strong physical urges. And whenever we don't talk about something, it grows in power. It festers. It develops. So we wind up having is physical wants and emotional needs, but we really only focus on the secret. We really only focus on the thing we don't talk about. So we spend much of our life solving emotional needs with physical things, and there is no physical thing that will meet your emotional and spiritual needs. There is no physical thing. There is no person. There is no experience. There is no, there is nothing. There is no medicine. There is no high. There is no physical thing. There is no, there is no marriage that will fulfill your emotional and spiritual needs. You could have every physical thing you want on earth, every experience, get everything you want and die lonely and unfulfilled. But you could not have the physical experiences that you want, but live in intimacy with the Lord and with his people, and you could die with no regrets. Our bodies are not the problem. Here's the second lie. The second lie is that we can't control our desires. You've heard this before, I know. We get told all the time, you're just a bag of hormones. <laughs> you're just... It's just what you are. You've got, you've got needs. You've got desires. Human beings weren't made for monogamy. It's not part of the evolutionary process. Human beings, we just, we've got these desires. We've got them. They, they're there. There's nothing we can do about it. Let me ask you a question. If I give you a gift of a house, but actually that gift is me just signing your name to a $2,000 a month mortgage with a 30-year commitment, so now you've got to work two extra jobs, and you can't spend time with your family, and you never take a day off, and you are in crushing, crippling, controlling debt for the rest of your life, is that a gift? No, it's debt. Your desires are a gift from the Lord, which means you are not a slave to them. Now, I'm not telling you that we can just change the way we feel, that we can change the brokenness that we feel. I'm not telling you we can just decide one day to be attracted to a different type of person. The Holy Spirit can heal our hearts. The Holy Spirit can work through counseling. The Holy Spirit can do a lot of things. Sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. I'm not telling you that there's just some decision we can make. What I'm telling you is that we don't have to do the things that we want to do. We don't have to. This gets perpetuated in the church, once again, by saying guys are just, they're just visual dogs, so girls just have to cover up all the time, and it's your fault if he lusts. He can control his desires. Men, it is not her fault you lusted. It is not porn's fault we look at it. You 
you are an image bearer of the kingdom of God. And she is equally an image bearer of the kingdom of God. And if we cannot see a human body without turning it into a sexual object, then that is not the human body's fault. That is an unsurrendered heart to the Lord. It's not her fault. Now, visual attraction is not a gender-specific thing. It tends to be a man thing. It tends to be a... Women tend to be less visual, so I'm talking about it along those lines, but this applies to anyone who struggles with lust, who struggles with pornography. Ultimately, we have to get to the point where we realize that it is by faith we are saved, and it is by faith we are transformed. It means we actually truly trust that Jesus' ways are better. We actually truly trust that purity is better than lust. We actually trust that purity is better than getting what I want. We actually trust that the holiness of God, the righteousness of God is better than fooling around with my girlfriend and doing stuff that's technically not across the line, but that every person knows is wrong. You don't need me to tell you where the line is. Your heart has told you that the whole time. Why? Because it was made in the image of God. If you're here, ladies, and you are dating someone that has ever said, I have needs, dump them now. I'm serious. Text them right now. It's the only time it's okay to dump someone over a text. You know what type of person confuses their wants for their needs and then manipulates to get what they want? A child. He is not old enough to date you. I don't care if he's 50. Men don't manipulate. Women don't manipulate. We do not use the power and authority God's given us in either gender, in either expression, to manipulate or objectify another person. Marriage is two people dying to oneself, to dying to self and choosing one another, preferring one another. One of the other ways this gets perpetuated in the church is that we wind, up, we wind up allowing things like pornography and our over-sexualized culture to shape our definition of marriage. So our perspective is this. If you just hold on, then someday you get to go nuts. Your spouse is not your pornography. We die to ourselves, choosing and preferring one another. We do not manipulate we do not use our power. We do, not use, we, do, we do not use one another. We die to self. In the next chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, it talks about what happens. God is explaining what happens when sin enters the world. And he's talking to the woman and he says that your desire will be for your husband and he will lord over you. In other words, if a husband is domineering or lording, or controlling, or manipulating, they are living in the dominion of sin. It's the result of sin in the world. It's not the result of God. It's not God's intent or design. We don't manipulate. Our families don't serve us. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 says, Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, who gave himself for her. You want to know who has a higher responsibility? You want to know who's... Die to yourself. The kingdom ethic of sexuality 
is obedience to God because we trust his character. Because his character is actually good. But before we move on, I've been talking for a long time. Before we move on, I need to say something about modesty. (laughs) Because this has been like a really toxic and shaming thing in culture. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. So here's what I want to say. What we do with our bodies matters. So the question you need to ask is, what are you trying to accomplish? If you feel, you don't, need, you don't need to wake up every morning and be like, is this right or wrong to put on? If you feel a check in the Holy Spirit, or you just want to wear something that you feel some, some sort of conviction about, ask yourself, what are you trying to trigger in other people? Are you trying to get people to look at your body sexually? Then that's wrong. All right? But beauty is not wrong. And if a guy can't look at you and notice that you're beautiful without turning you into a sexual object, that's not your fault. Just for the record, dudes can be immodest too. You walk, at the, you walk around the beach showing off your body like every, every woman wants me and every guy wants to be me. That's immodest. You're trying to provoke sexual desire in other people. Dudes are just as guilty as girls. When we try to trigger sexual desire in other people, triggering sexual desire where it's not meant to be used. You with me? You are not a slave to your desires. This is why Adam looks at all the animals looking for a helper. He says, not me, dog. Not me, cat. Not me, elephant. And then he sees a woman and he says, like me, but different. You are not controlled by your impulses. You're not an animal. You're not an animal. Now, I hope this is super convicting for some of us, but I also hope that this provides freedom because your mistakes have already been forgiven. They've already been covered. They've already been washed in the blood. You are not defined by who you used to be or what you used to do. That is not who you are anymore. You actually can experience wholeness and freedom. It might take counseling. It might take celebrate recovery. It might take accountability on your phone or your computer. It might take not hanging out with your girlfriend or boyfriend in the apartment by yourself at night. I don't know what it's going to take, but you actually can control those desires, and you can walk in the way of Jesus. You can do it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is transforming your heart and transforming your mind. That's why Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't live like an animal. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind can actually be renewed. Freedom is accessible through the cross of Jesus. So I hope this is convicting and freeing at the same time. I hope you're like, oh man, that's heavy. But oh my gosh, maybe I can do it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Last thing is this. The last lie that we believe is just that sex is no big deal. <laughs> that sex is just a thing. This gets perpetuated in the church. gets perpetuated in, in our culture. You don't need me to explain why this is perpetuated in our culture. It's pretty obvious. But here's what you need to know. That sex, sexual desires are the culmination. They're meant to be the one flesh union of humanity. In this story, this is incredibly important. In this story... The first time we see a specific direct reference to gender is when God makes woman. That's when we see the Hebrew is isa, which is specific gendered terms, male and female. So in other words, male and female were separated from one another so that they can be unified together. It is a union. This is why scripture defines marriage as one man and one woman for eternity and says that sex is restricted for marriage. This is the biblical definition. And why is, why is that? Because what was taken apart is the only thing that can be unified. Man plus man cannot be one flesh. Woman plus woman cannot be one flesh. Only what was taken apart can be brought together. This is the unifying force 
It is a beautiful thing. It is a good thing. It is a gift to you if you are married. But it is a want if you are single, not a need. You can live in the full wholeness of Jesus without experiencing those wants. Everybody who's ever tried to work out or get in shape (laughs) knows that salads are not as good as brisket. But you do not have to get what you want to get what you need. Amen? Now, here's how we're going to close this morning. There's going to be a verse up on the screen that I want you to see because this is so important. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I memorized it in a different translation. <laughs> There's some of us here that this morning has brought up shame. It has brought up guilt. Maybe you're remembering youth group sermons where somebody said that like sex is like two pieces of, of cardboard that get glued together, and once you do it, you can never be fixed. <laughs> I heard that sermon. It hurt for a long time. Here's what Jesus says. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. Which means that maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you have been broken. We have all been broken. We have all been wounded. But wholeness is available. I don't know what it's going to take for you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit transforms in a moment. Sometimes the Holy Spirit breaks addiction in a moment. Sometimes the Holy Spirit changes our minds and hearts in a moment. Sometimes the Holy Spirit walks us through a process of therapy and counseling. Why? Because we need to know what wounded us so that we don't repeat those cycles. Sometimes God heals through miracles. Sometimes he heals through doctors. Sometimes he heals emotionally, miraculously. Sometimes he sends you to celebrate recovery or to a therapist. And sometimes we walk in obedience. We say, you know what, I have this desire, but I'm choosing to surrender that to the Lord and walk in obedience. I want to tell you, there might be someone, you might know someone, there might be somebody here that you struggle with your sexual identity. And it feels like following Jesus means you're missing something you need. And I want to tell you as humbly and as gently as I can that I don't understand I don't want to pretend to empathize. But I do want to tell you that we can trust the character of Jesus, that he is good, he is gentle, and he is kind. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, try it and see if he is not good. Try it and see if you are not fulfilled in obedience to him. God is not afraid of you tasting and seeing that he is actually good because he promises he is good. He's not going to lie to you. That's what we trust. The band's going to come up in just a minute. I'm going to ask that uh, we would all close our eyes and bow our heads. I know this is, uh, I've talked about a lot of the traumatic things that happened in youth group and stuff, and this is a very youth groupy thing to do, so just roll with me. But if you're here this morning, I don't want you to worry about the person next to you or anyone around you. If you're here this morning and you would just say, you know what, I have been wounded, have been broken, but I'm believing Jesus for healing, and I'm believing Jesus for wholeness, and I'm willing to take that next step. I don't know what that next step is, but I'm willing to take that next step. I'm willing to walk in intimacy with Jesus. I'm willing to step out into obedience. I want that healing. I am not who I used to be. If that's you, everyone's got their head bowed and their eyes closed. 
and I'm going to join this with you. I'm just going to ask you to do something kind of bold and just kneel down right where you're sitting. I'm doing it up here. We're going to cry out to Jesus. We're going to say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I want you. I want your ways. I want your ways. No one around you is looking. No one cares. If that's you, if you have brokenness in your past, if you've got brokenness in your present, but you're saying, Jesus, I can trust you with it, I'm just going to invite you. Kneel down right where you're at. Don't worry about anybody else. There is no shame in this room. There is no shame in Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So while I pray, you can just kneel down and you can pray on your own. Don't listen to me. You talk to Jesus. I'm just covering for you so you can talk to Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, your ways are better. Jesus, your ways are holy and true. Jesus, you are kind. Jesus, you are faithful. Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we want everything you have for us. Jesus, we know that we can trust your character. We know that we can trust your fullness. We know that we can trust you. We believe that we can trust you. If there are some of us right now that we're not sure we can trust you, we choose to try, Jesus. We choose to taste and see if you are actually good. Jesus, your kindness brings us to repentance, and you are ministering kindly and gently to us right now. I believe that, Jesus. We love you. We trust you. Begin the process of healing our hearts right now as we cry out to you. You are good. We, we are made new. Show us the newness that we've received in you. Show us how to walk in it, God. You are so good. You are so good. We love you, Jesus. Let's stand and worship together.